Today's scripture reading is Luke, the ninth chapter, 46 through 48. And this is page 917 in your pew Bibles. The group, we're, the group that we're talking about here is the disciples. Then a, then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him by him and said to them, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. Who sent receives me and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who, for he who is least among you, all will be great. Good morning. It is so good to be together this morning. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. And speaking of encouragement, we want to be sure and remind you again that David Malakot's birthday is this coming week. It's on the 30th, and in your Sunday bulletin, bulletin you will see an address uh, that you can mail him a birthday card, and we want to encourage you to do that. That'd be a great encouragement to him. And then also, we want to encourage you to continue praying for him as he continues to be in a rehab in Tampa, and pray for his beautiful family also. And speaking of prayer, we want to think about prayer day. And in your Bible class, in just a few minutes, your elders will be talking to you, if they haven't already, about a time that you will be getting together outside of class time this coming Sunday to pray together. And we look forward to this time. In my opinion, it's one of the greatest days of the year. Uh, we take the time, of course, to pray for every member by name, every request that has been turned in, and for every ministry. And so we want to encourage you to, to take part in this day, find your place. Now, as your class sets a time, obviously anyone is invited to go to any of those times. So tonight we will post for you so that you'll know what times other classes are praying. And that way, if you, uh, the time is not convenient for you that your class sets, you can join another class. Or if you need to switch babysitting between husband and wife, you can split that up and go to another class. But our hope is that everybody in the congregation uh, would join in an hour of prayer next Sunday. As you think about that, you also notice in your Sunday bulletin that uh, there's a little extra tab this week in the Sunday bulletin, and it has a place that you uh, can write your prayer request and tear it off. Uh, it's perforated, and there are prayer boards with prayer baskets under them on each end of the foyer. Uh, if you want to use these or you want to use any other piece of paper, that's fine. And we look forward to praying about those next Sunday and then putting those up on the board uh, for our, each of us to take and pray for each other throughout the month of November. Also, this year, our elders will be getting together and praying probably at four o'clock. And as they pray together next Sunday, uh, they want to pray for things that you want them to pray about. And so if you have anything that you 
Uh, perhaps it's something that's more confidential and you only want the elders to know about that, but you do want the elders to be praying about that. There is a box out at Information Center. Uh, write your prayer request there. Uh, put it in that box and the elders will be the ones that will read those and the elders will be the one uh, that will be praying about those. And so we look forward uh, to receiving God's blessings. Uh, he tells us to ask. And he tells us that sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. Uh, God doesn't look lightly upon pride. He doesn't look lightly uh, upon those who act spoiled. And so we as a congregation want to pause. We want to thank God for all of his blessings this past year. And we want to depend upon him uh, this next year. Also, we want to remind our deacons that uh, if you can turn in your prayer request for your ministries at your deacons mailboxes uh, you'll see forms there if you need those and then also a place that you can return those and be sure and do that by wednesday night also on these next couple of slides you see a lot of opportunities that we have today to be involved in we are the sermon day there's a lot of sermons preached inside these walls but we want to reach out to the community around us and show them the love of god the love of god is a loud clear powerful sermon and you'll see on the screen the many places that our Bible classes will be working this afternoon to show unconditional sacrificial love to the community around us and you're invited to get involved in any of the classes and so if you need uh, any instructions about where you could work this afternoon be sure and see me or Tim Martin or any of the Bible class uh, teachers, coordinators, or elders there in those classes, and they'll be glad uh, to help direct you uh, to a work that, that perhaps you're looking for. And in this, we want to give God all the glory. I hope wherever you go and work uh, this afternoon that, that you guys will stop and spend some time in prayer and uh, pray that God would be lifted up in the work that you're doing. Pray that God would be glorified in that and pray that great things uh, for God's kingdom would take place from our efforts as we strive to serve God through serving the community that is around us. Have you ever stopped and noticed that there's a who's who's list for everything? There's a who's who's list for states, for colleges and universities, for major league sports, for almost all the minor league sports, for almost every major profession. You see, if you're fast enough, strong enough, artistic enough, have enough music, musical ability, if you can sell enough products, if, if you can succeed uh, with, with degrees or achievements within your field of work, if you can just do enough, you can get on some kind of who's who list. But have you ever considered this? What if God made a who's who list? Who would God place on his who's who list? Well, if we look through the scriptures to see the people that God used and got the most out of, we would see that there'd be some kings, some farmers, some fishermen. We would see that there would be some prostitutes. There would be some that were very young in age and some that were elderly in age and everywhere in between. We'd see a few somebodies on that list and we'd see a bunch of people that the world would say are nobodies. And so you say, okay, out of that list... What did any of that have in common? All of God's who's who list would be made up of humble servants. Humble servants. Humility and servanthood is the double fibered cord that you can pull through every servant of God that links us all together 
since Jesus Christ walked this earth. T.W. Matson said, in the kingdom of God, service is not the path to greatness. Service is greatness. What a challenge it is for us to be humble. There was a man who was considered very spiritual. He was a scholarly type man that does a lot of teaching and preaching. And a young man that was beginning to preach came up to him and in all seriousness he said to this man, called him by name and he said, when is it that you overcome pride in your life? And the older fellow laughed and he said, you're serious? You expect me to say a few years ago I overcame pride and I've never wrestled with it? He said, you don't know a person on earth that doesn't wrestle with pride. Pride is the ugly sin. It's the big sin. It is the sin that is linked, attached, woven through almost every sin that we commit. Pride is what we all must face. We'll have to go out and work this afternoon and we'll decide if we'll do it in humility or if we'll do it through pride. Some probably won't do it because of pride. But then others will do it and have to battle pride. Why? It's just that hard to be humble. When we talk about humility, it's not small talk. It's not easy talk. It's some of the greatest, most challenging teaching that Jesus has ever given us. True servanthood is rooted in true humility. When we look at this passage in Luke, the ninth chapter, we see a powerful teaching where if you look earlier in your Bibles down there in Luke, the ninth chapter in verse one and two, do you notice that something tremendous happened? That's easy for us to gloss over these things as just words on a page. But I'd like for you to stop and think for just a moment. In Luke, the ninth chapter in verse one, two, we see that Jesus or through the power of God, these apostles were about to be sent out on a mission and he gave them the power to heal individuals. He gave them the power to cast out demons. Can you imagine how tough that would be to go out for the first time and be able to heal someone and turn around over here and heal them and turn around over here and cast out a demon and then come back humble? As a matter of fact, from another gospel we read that they came back and they didn't sound so humble. They were laughing almost and boasting of the fact of, Lord, look at all the things we could do. And they listened to them off. And you remember what Jesus said? He said, don't rejoice in those things. He said, rejoice because your name is written in the book of life. You see, Jesus was literally trying to humble them by saying, you're missing the focus. You're getting wrapped up in the power that God has given you instead of seeing why you have the power that God is giving you. And then we read on down a little deeper in Luke, the ninth chapter. Do you notice there were Peter, James, and John were invited to go up to the mountain and there they saw the transfiguration. That was such an amazing moment that Peter got caught up in it. And he said, let's build three temples, one to Moses, one to Elijah, and one to Jesus Christ. And he literally heard the voice of God in heaven. It's my beloved son, hear ye him. And then they come off of the mountain, they go into the valley. And some of the apostles that day had tried to heal a boy. And they were not able to cast out the demons and heal him. And so Jesus goes and he does cast out the demons and heals them. And it's in that setting then that we see this discussion about who's the greatest. As a matter of fact, when we look to this next slide, we see the text again and we see 
that there was an argument that broke out. Notice the beginning of verse 46. Then a dispute arose among them. You know, on one hand, we might say, it's just so hard to believe that the apostles would really argue about who's the greatest. You know, if we really look to see what they experienced over the last two and a half years, if we really, really studied it over, you know what I think we would say? We would probably say, isn't it amazing that they only argued about this a few times that we read about in the scriptures? Listen, if the guy that you walked around with 24-7 for two and a half years never did anything wrong, imagine this. You're traveling about, as happens so oftentimes, a group of Pharisees come up, they bring out their best guy, and they try to target Jesus and shoot him down. And you know what Jesus does? He opens his mouth with loving kindness and he speaks with authority and the truth of his message puts that man in place and you're walking off with Jesus and what are you going to say? I know what my temptation would be. Ha <laughs> ha, Jesus, we did it again, didn't we? I love it. Come on, let's go to the next town. We're going to put some more people in their place. I love this. Oh, by the way, hey, everybody will come in town. Anybody need to be healed? We are the group that can heal you. Matter of fact, you haven't had anybody come through your town like us. You bring any scholar out, we can put them in their place. You bring anybody sick, we can lift them up. Nobody is like us. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what the apostles had to deal with from, a, from the level of being human? They've had this amazing change in their life where now it's not just Jesus that can heal individuals. They can heal individuals. And the next thing we know, they're arguing. Who's going to be the greatest? Well, you can imagine maybe what set up that environment for the argument because earlier in the day, one of the apostles tried to heal somebody and couldn't, but then Jesus did come back and heal somebody. Which one of us is going to be the greatest? You know, when, when one of us tries to do something and we can't, but then the other one says, I'm, I'm the greatest among the apostles. Let me heal that young man. Who's going to be the greatest? Please note this. Arguments cause division. And God never gave you and I the opportunity to serve or the gifts to serve so that we would argue and divide the church. We are misusing who we are and what God has given us if we are arguing with each other. We must be united on truth and we must be united on humility. But notice this second thing that they were arguing about. It's the rest of verse 46. Notice that. At the end of 46, we see the superiority being argued about. Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be greatest. Oh, so it's an argument about, can I be more important than the other apostle to my left or to my right? Who is it that God expects us to lift up? The first and greatest commandment Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. What's the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. God takes the front seat in our life. He takes the place of superiority in our life. And when we sit on the back seat, we sit on the back seat with all of mankind. God expects us to love others as ourself. And anytime we get things out of order, that reordering that is the wrong order creates confusion and digression. 
And we see it right here. If they would have remained humble, there wouldn't have been this argument. There wouldn't have been this divide at the moment that was taking place. But it happens even today. It's not just an apostle thing. It's a mankind thing. And when you and I can remain united, focusing first and foremost on God and seeing the value and the worth of every other person on this earth. Everybody is a child of God in the sense that their blood flows from Adam and Eve. We all have the same value in the sight of God. We have different roles, but we all have equal value. And that's how we can love others as ourselves, no matter who they are. But I'd like for you to also notice in verse 47, in verse 47, we see that this isn't just an issue about the fruit of our labor. In other words, Jesus didn't look around and say, okay, what are you saying and what are you doing? Even though he could have done that. Notice verse 47 again. Jesus perceiving the thoughts of their heart took a little child and set him by him. What did he perceive? The thoughts of their heart. Where does pride stem from? Where does humility stem from? You know, sometimes if we're not careful, I believe we fall prey to a very dangerous concept. And it's the concept that might go something like this. Now that I am a Christian, God expects me to act humbly. God doesn't want an actor. He doesn't want someone who is acting outwardly at the moment different from who they are inwardly. God wants you and I to be humble from the heart. And so when we do something that is humble, even though somebody might say, oh look, they're acting humble, the truth is it's not an act at all. It is the fruit of our heart. From the heart springs the issues of life, Proverbs the fourth chapter teaches. And so we know that is true. So since that is true, what stems from a humble heart? I tell you what doesn't stem from a humble heart, the argument among apostles, who's the greatest? That doesn't stem from a humble heart. And Jesus knew that. Jesus looked into their heart and he perceived a real and challenging problem. And of course he addressed it. And throughout his two and a half to three years with them, he addressed it several times. And they are no different than us and we are no different than them. We all must evaluate our heart. Why am I gonna go out this afternoon and participate in a day to serve our community? Am I doing it from a pure heart? Am I doing it from a humble heart that really believes that the people around us deserve to be served and they deserve to see the love of God? But note this, it really becomes something about God. Did you notice how Jesus brought this? And again, it's one of those verses that would be easy to read over and not really grasp application-wise in our life the full significance of verse 48. Read again here in 48 and notice the teaching Jesus gives about God. And he said to them, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For who is least among you will be great. Who do we receive? Jesus. 
we see Jesus, we see the one who sent him, the Father. Who receives? The humble. What about the proud and the arrogant? They don't receive God. Listen, if we want God in our life, we can not be proud. The humility that would cause an individual to say, I have as much care and concern for a child as I do for a CEO. God says, I can work in that heart and in that life. The one who can look at a feeble widow and have as much compassion and genuine value estimated upon her as you would have for, for a congressman or, or for a high-powered attorney has started to understand that humility is not just a description of the heart, but it is a description of the heart that affects how we see, how we serve, what we do. And so if you have a problem with, with seeing the worth in everyone, if you really have a problem with seeing the worth in a homeless person, if you have the problem in seeing the worth even in a stranger, I encourage you to evaluate your heart, to realize that God expects us, God requires of us to find a humility that would serve we're going to come back and finish this lesson tonight, but I'd like to close by reminding you of a passage in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. In 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. In 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, I'd like for you to look with me at 21 through 24. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 24. We won't have a slide on this. And as we close this lesson about humble servanthood, what I would like for you to to recognize from this great passage in 1 Corinthians 12 is that every ministry is important and no ministry serves as a lone ranger. We all need each other. Individually, we need each other and whatever ministries we serve in, we need each other. And, and a lot of the time here in 1 Corinthians 12, it's about the one body and each member is an important part of that body. A lot of the time, we, we concentrate heavily on the first few verses of this paragraph. I'd like for you to notice in verse 22. Let's start back in 21. He says, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now, now think how that would translate into what Jesus is saying. Perhaps we wouldn't be bold enough to say it verbally. But do we look around at ministries and say, there's no need for that ministry? Well, that's arrogant. Just because it's not your ministry, you're really going to look over at a work or you're going to look over at a servant and you're going to say, we don't need you. That's what God's addressing here. 
We're all needed. We're going to have different ministries. That's the first few verses, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6. We're going to have different ministries. We're going to have different gifts. We're going to have different activities. But what we need is to bring all of us individually together into one body and use our abilities. Bring all of our ministries together into one body and have the ministries working and functioning together. Now, notice here as we read 22. No, much rather those members of the whole body which seem to be weaker are necessary. So whichever one you think is weaker, God says it's not weaker. And notice, it doesn't matter what the weaker one is. You might look over and say, well, this is a weaker ability or this is a weaker uh, ministry. And, and somebody else may look over and say, oh no, the one you're in is a weaker ministry and what you have is a weaker ability. And you see what the Lord is saying here is, whatever your estimation is of strong and weak as it pertains to abilities or gifts and ministries, God is just saying, trust me, you're wrong about it. Every person, every ministry is necessary. 23, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor and on our pre presentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need but God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. Now notice 25, and think about the apostles dividing a while ago in their argument. And notice 25, that there should be no schism of the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. What creates arguments and division? Pride. My ministry is more important than yours. The ability I have is so much stronger than the ability you have. And Jesus goes back to the apostles before the beginning of the church. And he says, listen, do you want to receive God? If you're going to walk with God, you're going to have to be humble. You're going to have to be so humble that you receive a child. And when you see the value of, of receiving all, he says, now you're ready to serve. And now we go to 1 Corinthians 12 and he says, okay, so you're ready to serve and you're ready to look at your ministries? Don't fall into that same mistake. My ministry is better than your ministry. I'd like to close just by asking you to consider a puzzle of Jesus. I want you to just imagine a jigsaw puzzle. And imagine you and your ability or the ministry that you serve in, where does that fall? It's just one piece of the larger puzzle. Together, in unity, in humility, we are to serve God in such a way that when we link all that we are and all that we do together, we hold up a complete picture to the community around us of Jesus. But there is no one person or one ministry that could do that effectively. Today, let's value each other. Let's value what we bring to God's body as we also value what everybody else and their ministries bring to God's body. And let's make sure that we serve with great humility, not looking to be supreme, but looking to be humble. You remember that great teaching that Jesus gave near the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. In the fifth chapter in verse 16 of Matthew, let your light so shine before men 
that they may see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. This afternoon, that's our goal. Our goal is that we'll go out and we'll be a sermon together. Collectively, we'll preach a powerful sermon about the love of God. As we extend an invitation, we want to ask you, are you a benefactor of not only the love and the grace that God offers, but have you accepted that gift? Are you saved? Have you responded to what God offers us? If you're a believer that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you're willing to repent of sins and confess before men, why not be immersed, baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins this morning? Find your place in His body and His life. Listen, there's a place for you. There's a place for you to be saved. There's a place for you to work and serve. There's a place for you to belong. And God has a reservation for you in heaven. But we have to decide. Maybe you've begun that journey and you've lost the way and you want to come back this morning and you want to join forces with God's kingdom again in renewing your place in His body. If we can pray with you and for you, if we can help you in any way, 